It's good to see you. Thank you so much for being here today. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, today we get to continue a study that we started a, uh, several weeks ago on a short little talk that Jesus gave on a hillside near the Sea of Galilee. The talk that he gave is famously called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that it's an extremely practical and relevant sermon. In fact, it's absolutely changed the world, and it's because it's so, it hits close to home. Not just then, but it still hits close to home today. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know, because we've been talking about things like uh, managing our anger, dealing with adultery, being, um, being faithful with our, with our words. And so it's very practical, and it's very relevant for us today. And Jesus um, has this is this way of establishing this pattern through this talk. And one of the patterns that he establishes is, hey, I'm going to talk to you about this basic issue. But then he'll say, but I want to now take you and show you the greater problem that you also need to address with this issue. So, for instance, he addresses the basic issue of you, shouldn't, you shall not murder. It's like, okay, good. I can start there. Great. But then he says, well, let me talk to you about a little deeper issue, which is managing your anger. It's like, oh, okay, that hits even closer to home. Jesus says, okay, let me talk to you about this, the, the law you've heard. Don't commit adultery. Okay, right, got that one. But then he says, let me tell you, talk to you about the deeper problem, which is managing the lust that comes into our life. And so he's speaking to us in very practical ways, in ways that touch it. He's more than, he's more, he's interested not just on the outside stuff, but on the inside stuff. And that's what he really presses in on. And today's no exception to that. Today, Jesus continues to um, press and he gets very practical and real. And it's very, it's very, hits very close to home because today in the passage we're going to be looking at, Jesus is going to be talking about this challenge that we have of wanting revenge. The issue that each and every one of us has that we want to get even with other people, that we want to settle the score, you're saying to yourself, no, I don't have that problem. Well, let me cut you off on the highway, and then we'll see how you feel about that, okay? <laughs> see, all of us have at some core, some level, this desire to get even, this desire to, to get back, to retaliate when someone wrongs us. In fact, even as I'm sharing that with you, there's people that are coming to your mind that you're like, yeah, I'd like to see them get theirs. And I'd like to, you know, help God out with that as well, you know? So we all have those people, those instances, those circumstances, and this is why this passage we're going to look at today is very practical and relevant for us now. And so, with that, what I want to do is look at the passage with you, and I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll go back over it, and we'll look at it verse by verse. But let's, uh, let's stand. If you have your Bible, hopefully you did bring it, um, turn to Matthew chapter 5. I didn't know where you'd tell you where we're going yet. Matthew chapter 5. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't worry. Hopefully you received the handout on your way in here. We printed the passage for you. Um, you can see it there, but please stand. We'll read the passage together, and then we'll look at it a little more closely. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38, says this, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Now, before we look at this passage more um, closely, what I do need to do is just mention a couple of things up front because as important as this passage is, it's also a passage that can be misunderstood. And so let me just mention a few things before we look at it together. The first thing that I want want to mention is this, that this is not a political philosophy. Jesus is not talking to governments and saying, this is how you need to do things. Jesus is talking to followers, and he's giving them instructions, and there is a difference there. And so Jesus is talking to you and I, and he's saying, this is how I want you to walk and live as my followers. And so um, this is important. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the expectation that God has placed on you as his follower. Now, not everyone here is a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is important for you to just understand as you're listening that if you place your faith in Christ, this is the expectation that he will be putting on your life as well as you submit your life to him. So he is speaking to his individual followers. He's not giving a political philosophy here. He's saying, here it is how you need to, um, to, to live. Now, the second thing that's important for, you to just to, for us to recognize is that Jesus is not saying in this passage that we need to ignore all wrongs that have been done to us. Jesus is not saying that we need to line up and just accept abuse in life. So I want to be very clear about that. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is very, still very interested in, in right and wrong and justice. Um, but what he's speaking to here is this idea of, of how uh, it's more than more the motive. He's speaking to the motive of our heart of wanting to get revenge. And that's, that's really what he's talking about in this, in this passage. Now, um, the third thing that I wanted to mention is this, is that um, Jesus is not saying that we need to ignore wrongs that are done to other people. So Jesus does not say, hey, if someone smacks your brother or sister in the cheek, spin them around and say, here's the other cheek too, okay? He's not talking about other people. He's talking about you and me, and our response to people. So Jesus is still very interested and very concerned that we have a concern for others and how they're treated. He's, he's, he wants us as followers of Christ to be deeply concerned about how people are being treated and their justice and their needs and their care. That's, that's, that's all throughout Scripture. But here in this passage, he's talking to us uh, as individual followers, saying here's how we need to respond um, to people who 
we struggle with and that we want to exact revenge on. So that's, that's the concern that he's going after here in this passage. Now, with that said, those, those, those misunderstandings out of the way, now let's take a look at this passage a little bit closer. So the first verse here in verse 38 says this, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. This is one of the oldest laws in history. This is a very ancient ancient law. And I know for you and I, it sounds maybe a little um, barbaric, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but really it's a law that is meant to protect. It's a law that's meant to protect. And the reason for that is because if you get into it with someone and you actually happen to knock out a tooth, this law just simply says all they can get back from you is a tooth. Okay? And that's important because when you knock out someone's tooth, they're like, I want a tooth and I want an eye, right? And so I want to go a little bit further. And, and, or, or, hey, you knocked out a tooth. I want, a, I want an eye. I, I want a tooth and I want your head. You know, that's kind of the, the concept. So it, it's, it's a law that's meant to protect um, and, and prevent revenge and vendettas and an escalation that could take place. So it's meant to protect against the whole Godfather mentality, right? You hurt me. Now I'm going to wipe out your whole family. You know what I mean? That kind of a concept. And so it's a revenge. It's an escalation. So this law is good, and it's meant to protect. And I've seen this, this concept of escalation of, you know, you wrong me, I'll wrong you, and this just gets worse and worse. I've seen this firsthand in lots of different ways. Uh, many of you know that a lot of my ministry experience in the past has been working with students and so I've had the opportunity of working with students and going to lots of different summer camps. And we got to a point when we were leading summer camps that we had to um, implement a no prank policy. And do you know why? Because what would happen is one cabin of students would prank another cabin of students. And the, stu- the, the cabin that pranked them, they're thinking, this is hilarious, right? This is so funny. Now, the cabin that got pranked they're not laughing so hard. And so what they do is they then, they are so mad, they stay up all night trying to think of a way to retaliate. And when you're mad and you're tired and you're a teenager, all like restraint and uh, like creativity goes out the window. And usually the retaliation comes back far more ruthless and reckless. And now the, tr- the cabin that was like, this was so funny, this prank that we did, they're no longer la- laughing, Right? Because they've just got pranked back and they got pranked back harder. So now they're piping mad and they're saying, we're going to go back and prank them. And they're ready to burn the cabin down, right? So it just, you just see it escalate. And inevitably, property gets damaged, personal possessions go missing. And we just got to a point where we're saying, this, is, this can't happen. This whole vendetta, escalation, retaliation, it gets out of control. Things, people get hurt in the process. Things get ruined. So we had to stop it. Now, That's a camp scenario, but we've seen that played out in lots of different ways, haven't we? That escalation. It happens in neighborhoods. It happens at workplaces. It happens in our families. It happens with relationships. You hurt me, I'll hurt you, and it just goes higher and higher. This is a good law. Jesus is not saying that this is a bad law. He's saying this is a law actually meant to protect and to keep us from <laughs> revenge beyond that. In fact, um, in, in the legal system, it's called lex talionis, the law of the tooth. That is, there's judges that are still saying a crime, uh, a punishment needs to match the crime, right? So there needs to be some balance of things. And so it's still a good law. This is uh, an important thing. But what 
what Jesus wants to get at here, what he's trying to do is to get us to check our motives. Because there's a number of us who say, well, I just want things to be done right. Okay, great. But it's still possible that in your heart, you have a very vengeful spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? And so Jesus is saying, yeah, this is a law and it's good. But what he's wanting to protect from is the motive, the heart part, the spirit. You know, because we can do things, want to do things the right way, but with a really wrong motive. And that's really the issue that Jesus is trying to get to when he says, but I tell you. And that's what we, where we're coming to next. He's checking our motives and he's, he's coming to, a, 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 to challenge us in that way. And so then, so then in this uh, next verse, he says this, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So what Jesus does here in the next four verses is he gives four examples of how we're to like, check our motives and how we're to treat people, not with retaliation, but with a different response. And in some ways, it's really f- fascinating because Jesus covers almost all of our life. The first one here, the slap, that's about our, our social challenge. The next one is it's the lawsuit, that's our legal challenge. The next one he talks about is, is, is about kind of the political challenges that we face. And then the last one is about the financial challenge. And so he's covering the whole gamut of life. And so Jesus is saying, this is impacting all of your life. And so he's pushing us to kind of see things holistically as we surrender ourselves and follow him. And so the first one, though, is the, is the slap. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If you want to fill in a blank if you're a note taker, here's the blank is this, the degrading slap, the degrading slap. Now, um, when you see this verse, I want to be really clear. Jesus is not saying that we need to submit ourselves to violence, that we're submitting ourselves to abuse. That's not what's going on here. When he says the slap, it's a degrading slap. It's an insult is what he's talking about. Now, this past week, Hollywood has been all abuzz, hasn't it? <laughs> about slaps and insults, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And I know that it's about an insult, not a physical slap or a physical assault on someone, because he says, here in this verse, it says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, and you're saying, well, why, what do I, why not the left cheek? I mean, the right cheek, is it worse? Why start there? And, and the whole point is this, that, you know, if you, if you backhand someone, if you're right-handed and you backhand someone, you're hitting them on the right cheek. Just turn to the person and go ahead and give them a backhand if you're right-handed. Or just trust me. <laughs> just trust me and know that if you're backhanding someone, you're hitting them on the right cheek if you're right-handed. And so this is where the concept comes from, the, the backhanded compliment. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it's really an insult when someone says, wow, you look great in this picture. I didn't even recognize you. You're like, ouch. Or you're really fast for your size. You're like, ouch. What is that supposed to mean? I love your haircut. It makes your nose look smaller. See, you're like, all of these, all of these compliments have a sting, have a bite. And so what he's saying is here, when someone slaps you, they backhand you. He's talking about an insult. And so what Jesus is getting at here is when someone takes a cheap shot at you, insults you, how are you to respond? And the response is, hey, I turn the other cheek. That's, that's, that's the whole point. You stun them with your 
response. And it's a, it's a stunning response. It's a different response. And so that's what he's, uh, that's what he's talking about here in this, in, this, in this verse. Now, the next verse, he says, if that's not hard enough, then he goes to the next verse. It says this, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So in these days, uh, people, the majority of people were very poor. And they did not have a whole lot of possessions. In fact, this was most of their possessions right here. A shirt and a coat. That's kind of what they had. And so the point is this, uh, if you want to fill in the blank, is this. It's the demeaning suit. The demeaning suit. When someone sues you in this, in this passage, it says they want to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And the interesting thing in Jewish law, you could not sue someone and actually take their coat. Their coat was something that was like, by law, you can't take that because people need a coat to protect themselves from the elements. So Jesus is saying you actually are giving to someone what they can't even take. And the, the kind of the concept is, hey, I'd rather go naked than fight you. Now, I'm not saying that literally, but that, that's kind of the concept. I'd rather give this over than um, actually uh, than fight you in, in this way. Now, I want to be clear, this is not um, he's not talking about a, a, a stupid suit against someone else. Jesus is still interested in justice. But he is saying, hey, for you and I, um, we don't have to fight this stuff. And you're saying, well, I, I have the right to fight. Yes, you do. But as a Christian, you also have the right to say, I'm not going to demand my rights. And so that's the thing that Jesus is saying, hey, go, be different. Instead of retaliating and getting back at them, what if you give them? Something. So this is, this, is, this is where Jesus is really challenging and pushing us forward. Now, then the, the next one is this. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And if you want to fill in the, the blanks there, it's the denigrating service. The denigrating service. So he's talking about the social challenge and the legal challenge. This is the political challenge that Jesus is speaking to here. Because at this time... The, the, the Jewish people were under occupation, Roman rule. The, Rome had conquered them, and so they were in, in occupied territory. And under Roman rule, the law stated that if a Roman soldier came to a Jewish person and said, hey, I want you to carry my bag, that the Jewish person had to let, stop, like put their bag down, put on theirs, and walk with them for one mile. That was the law. A Roman soldier could say, hey, I know you're headed to market and you've got all your stuff loaded up on your donkey. Here's what I want you to do. Unload everything off your donkey, put my stuff on there and go where I want to go. So you can tell how difficult, how humiliating, how frustrating this was for the Jewish people. They were bugged by this law. And so here Jesus is saying, listen, now, if they ask you to go, stun them with your response. Stun them with a response that says, hey, you know what? Instead of counting every step, you know, right to the very end and saying, I'm done. Say, hey, would you mind if I went another mile with you? How shocking would that be? Right? And that's the point. He's saying, listen, instead of taking, what if you start giving? Instead of saying, how can I retaliate? How can I get back? How can I get even? You're doing something different. And it's even, it touches even our own personal liberties. And that's, that's the challenge that he's saying. He's saying, go the extra mile. This is where we get that whole phrase, go the extra mile. It's right here, right here from this passage. He's saying, go the extra mile. Then the next one is this. 
Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. If you want to fill in the blank, it's this. Disguise stealing. And I say disguise stealing because there's always that person who's like, can I borrow that from you? And you're like, oh, I'm never going to see this again, am I? You know what I mean? That's kind of that concept. Or, hey, can I, can I, can I have this? Um, you know, and you're like, man, if I ever see it again, I know it's not going to come back in the same shape. And so there's this part of us that says, this is my stuff. These are my things. I don't want to give it to you because I don't think I'm going to get it back. Or if I do get it back, it's going to be, I'm going to have to buy a new one. And so there's a struggle, right? And this passage is saying, listen, don't be so consumed with your stuff and your things and hold on to your possessions, but say, how can I have a generous spirit, a sacrificial spirit? Again, not what can I take, but what can I give? That's, that's the whole, uh, the, the challenge of this, uh, of this, what he's saying again to them. Now, if you want to summarize this whole section, here's how I want to summarize it. The action is, don't withhold your service. What Jesus is saying is here, here is, don't withhold your service to people. And, and this is the, a real hard thing for us to think about and to do. Because when someone has hurt us, the last thing that we want to do is give them something. We want to get even with them. We want to take something from them. We want to retaliate against them. But in every single example that Jesus says, is, he's like, give them something. Whether it's your other cheek, whether it's your coat, whether it's an extra mile, whether it's just stuff that you have, he's like, give to them. And you're saying, this is really challenging. And you're right, it is. Jesus is saying, those that you want to get even with, he's calling us to serve, not withhold our service from them, but to, in fact, give to them. And you're saying, well, well this, is, this is a hard thing for me, for me to, to conceive of, if I, to give to them. Now, maybe I can do the action, that is, I will, I, will, I will serve them, but don't ask me to love them or like them, right? Yes, I'll, I'll give them something, but oh. Don't tell me to open my heart. I'm not going to love them. I'm not going to like them. No way. Well, then Jesus says, well, let me press a little further. Not just your action, but then he says, let's talk about the attitude of your heart too. And that's the next verse. Look at it with me. It says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Go ahead and stay there on that verse for a second. Now, You'll notice here the love your neighbor is all capitalized and hate your enemy is not. Love your neighbor is found in the Old Testament. This is part of Scripture. And this was found in many places in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor. But the rabbis, they, when they were teaching it, they're like, well, there's got to be an opposite, right? You love your neighbor. And so they just added in for bonus and you hate your enemy. So this was a statement that not coming from Scripture, but from the rabbis who would teach Scripture, they added this bonus. And we understand this, this reality, right? If you've if you got to love something, you've got to hate something. Well, there's just got to be the balance. If you love the Seahawks, who do you have to hate? I'll let you fill in the blank, all right? But for many people, it's the 49ers, the Rams, whoever it might be. Whoever's going against the Seahawks, if you love them, you've got to hate them. If, you're a Mac, if you love Max, you, lo- you hate PCs, right? <laughs> or if, you, if you're Android, you, you're like against the, the, the Apple. If, you're, if you love Republicans, you hate the Democrats. If you love the Democrats, you hate 
Republicans, okay, now, we're not getting political here. I'm just simply saying we do this in life. That we do the same thing. We're like, okay, well, here's who we're supposed to love. Oh, but then here's who we're supposed to hate, too. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to change the standard here. I'm, I'm going to change things up. I, want, I, I don't want you to go that direction. Here's the direction that he wants us to go. He says this in verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he's saying we're supposed to love them. Not love the neighbor and hate your enemy. He's saying love your enemy. You're saying, well, who's, who are those people that are hard for you to love? And I don't know, you fill in the blank. Who is it that's hard for you to love? Jesus is pressing deep. He's pressing down. He's saying, I just don't want the outside external action. I want to touch your heart. Who is it that you struggle to love? Is it your know-it-all brother-in-law? Is it your self-centered daughter-in-law? Is it your arrogant boss who doesn't seem to know your name but seems well acquainted with piling more work on your desk every day? Is it your neighbor who's always so noisy and, 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 and obnoxious? Is it, your, is, it a, is it a coworker? Is it a competitor who's spreading lies about you to try to take your territory and, and give up? These are the people Jesus is saying we're to love. You're like, that makes me uncomfortable. I know, me too. But this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying these are the people we're to love. Well, how are we to do that? What are we supposed to do? Look at the next part of that verse there, verse 44. Go back to 44. He says this. He says, love your neighbors and what? Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Okay, so step one, let's just start with prayer. God, I don't want to talk to that person. I don't want to love them. I don't want to like them. I don't want to serve them. There's nothing about this that I want to do. Okay, Jesus says, Simple step, pray for them. Because God can do something when we pray. It's not just that he can change their heart, but he can change our heart. Right? And I've experienced that. Maybe you've experienced that. And maybe you have to gag out a prayer. (laughs) Right? I'm just being honest. You have to gag it out. God, I pray for them. (laughs) Love them, because I don't. Whatever it might be, but you say, God, I know you're calling me to pray, so I'm going to start to pray. And maybe God can not only change their heart, but he can change your heart too. And, and that's important for us to see. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you're saying, okay, well, why would I want to do that, right? <laughs> why would I even want to do it? That's the next verse. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Why we do it? So we may be children of our Father in heaven. We love others because we have been loved. And when we love others, we're reflecting the love of God to the people around us that we look like God when we're loving others, even those who are harder to love in spite of. See, God has an in spite of kind of love. He loves people. He loves us in spite of our rebellion, in spite of 
the fact that we run the opposite direction, in spite of the fact that we neglect him and others, in spite of the fact that we continue to live in pattern of sinfulness. He loves us in spite of those things. And he's calling us to love people in spite of things. He's not saying that you're to love what they do or their actions or their motives or the, the, the things that, you know, who, you know, lots of different things. He's just simply saying love them, right? He's just simply saying love them because this is what God does for us. He loves in spite of our methods, in spite of our actions, in spite of the things that we say, the way that we treat people. He loves us in spite of that. And he demonstrates that here in this verse. He says this. He says, because God does, what does he do? He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, that God is undiscriminate, indiscriminate in terms of how he cares for people. If you walk outside later today, and you walk out and you see people in the parking lot, you, you, you know, it's going to be hard for you to tell, okay, which one does God really love, and which are the people that God's ticked off at, right? I mean, you, the people he loves, there's like just sun beaming down on them, Right? And the people he doesn't like, a little cloud and there's rain pouring down and they walk around, just rain cloud. No, that doesn't happen that way. God causes the sun by his grace and mercy to shine on everyone, even the people that don't deserve it. Isn't that good news? Because we all fit into that category, by the way. So God is gracious and he's good and he allows, he, he shows love in spite of lots of different things. Lots of different brokenness. Lots of different challenges. This is what he does and what he's calling us to do. So you're saying, okay, great. Then what am I supposed to do? Next verse says this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the, are not even the tax collectors doing that? So again, he's challenging us to say, you know, it's, you, you can love the people that love you back, that you love, but even the tax collectors do that. I mean, you can love your buddies and love the people who you love. He's challenging us to love our enemies, right? Then next verse, verse 47. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. See, anyone, even people who have no, um, who have no submission to God or, or just kind of living their lives without, you know, outside of, of the Christian faith, like, they're going to still greet people that they know, that they love. So he's simply saying, why don't you go beyond that? Instead of just greeting the people you like, the people you love, the people who treat you well, greet the people who are your enemies. And I love the practicality of this verse. The practicality of this verse is simply this. You can greet people you like. He's simply saying, why don't you greet people that are harder to like? Greet the people that, that you're, you're struggling with. And it's just, that's the simple step. The practicality here is just to greet them. To say hi to them. See, because when we get in a conflict with people, when we get in challenge with people, the communication stops. We say, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to avoid you. Jesus simply says, why don't you start with a simple hi? How are you? Start with a greeting. See where it goes from there. And if it doesn't go very far, okay, next time you see him, hey, how are you doing? How are you? Start with a greeting. That's the simple steps that Jesus is simply saying. Go beyond. Instead of avoiding them, running away from them, why don't you just start with a greeting and see what God can do and open the door. This is what, this is what he's saying. Now, verse, the next verse is this. And then he says, And be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, 
Easy, right? <laughs> to be clear, Jesus is not saying that we're to be flawless. How do I know that? Because we aren't. That's how I know that. Jesus is not saying that we have to be flawless. The word perfect here means mature. This, this idea of being matured, that we're growing in maturity. And as we grow in maturity, guess what? We receive more love from God. And as we grow in our maturity with love that God has for us and our own understanding of our own brokenness and sinfulness, our maturity says, now I got to love other people. Now I got to love people the way that God loves me. I need to say hi. I need to pray for them. I need to look for ways to serve them and, God, and ask that God can change my heart in the process. This is what he's calling us to. He's calling us to be more like our heavenly father who loves us, who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin. This is what he's done. If you want to summarize this little section here, I give it for you. It's the attitude to don't withhold your love. Not withholding our service, but also not withholding our love. That's what he's calling us to. But you say, man, but you don't know how they have wronged me. You don't know what they've done to me. And if you knew my side of the story, you'd think differently too. Can I tell you this? That in my job, I hear both sides of the story. And you know what I've learned? There's more than two sides of the story. There's sometimes three sides, four sides, six sides. And we think that we, we were there. We know it. It's our side. We see it the way we see it. But guess what? It is possible to miss things even though we're there because there's more than one side. There's more than two sides. And we have to trust the fact that God sees all of it. And he's got, he keeps good books. The God's in charge. He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He takes care of it. We have to trust God. You got it. You see all that's happening. You keep good books. That's what we have to trust in. You know the story of the, the woman who uh, was at the airport there on a layover and she had some extra time. So she went to the coffee shop and she got herself a coffee and a bag of cookies and she just was going to have a snack before she had to go down to her gate to wait for her, for her airplane. Um, but the air, airport was really busy. It was very full. There was not a lot of seating. And so, but she found a spot where there was a kind of a bar and lots of like little uh, tape bar table that is and a lot of stools. And so she just sat there w with everyone else. And, you know, she had her coffee and she had a book that she was going to read because she had some time to kill. And so she was drinking her coffee and she was reading her book and, and she reached down to, to have one of her cookies. And as she reached down to have one of her cookies, you know what happened? the guy next to her reached out and grabbed one of the cookies out of her bag. Now, she was shocked, and she's sitting there with her book, and she saw this take place, and she didn't know what to do. She was so shocked. She's like, uh, do I say something? Do I not say something? And so she grabs her cookie, but at the same time, she moves the bag a little closer so she can keep an eye on her bag as she's reading her book. And, you know, a little time goes by, and she goes and reaches down. She's thinking, I'm going to reach down for another cookie. And 
And guess what? The guy next to her reaches over, grabs a cookie out of her bag, and he starts to eat it. She's really now starting to get bugged. She's like, the nerve. This guy is eating my cookies. And so she's sitting there. She's just she's frustrated. But she doesn't know what to say. She doesn't have the guts to say something. So she just kind of continues to read her book. But she's having a hard time reading because, you know, the blood pressure is rising. And it gets down to the point where it's the last cookie. The last cookie. And it's just about as she's the, in that moment of reaching out to get that last cookie. The guy next to her reaches over, grabs the cookie, presses down, and breaks it in two. And he pushes the bag and the cookie over to the lady, and he eats his cookie. And before she could say anything, he was up and off and on his way. And she was so frustrated, the nerve, again. But she just didn't have quite the guts to chase him down. She wanted to chase him down the, 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 the terminal and say, man, what were you thinking, taking my cookies? But she just composed herself. She just said, okay. And she just sat there. She finished her coffee. And then after a little while, she goes down to her gate where she was there to wait for her, for her plane. And she sits down and she looks in her purse. And guess what she finds? Her bag of cookies. Let that sink in for a second. They were not her cookies that she was eating at the counter, okay? Those were his cookies. See, the point is this. There's more than two sides. There's three sides. There's four sides. You may think, I've got it all. You, you come over to my side, I see things so clearly from here. But can I tell you from my job, from my experience in life, there's more than one perspective. There's more than one side. And because we don't have the capacity to see it all, we have to trust a God who does. A God who does see it all. A God who keeps good books. A God who's interested in justice. But at the same time, a God who calls us to love. It's not our job to keep the books or to help God out on his, his judgment. Our job is to simply follow Jesus in what he did and what he said. And what did he do? He served and he loved. He served us when we didn't deserve it. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins a sacrifice that he made for us. That was the action. But it came from an attitude of love because he loved us. It says in Scripture that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, he loved us. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. This is what he's done, and this is who we follow. In just a moment, we're going to enter into a time of communion where we just get to pause in God's presence and re be reminded of the sacrifice that he's made for us. The fact that he loved us even when we were enemies to the cross. And he brought us close. And he transforms us from the inside out. This is what we celebrate during this communion time. But before we do that, let me pray for us. 
And so we can come into it prepared to really hear and experience and be reminded of the great sacrifice that God has made for us. So let's take a moment and let's pray first. God, we do want to pause in your presence just for a moment. And I, I do know, God, that for many people here, there are deep wounds and deep hurts that have been sustained by other people. So I don't want to minimize that. I know it's not easy. And so, God, I just, we just come to you in your presence and we ask for your help. God, we desperately need you to love the people that are hard to love to serve the people that are hard to serve. God, please remind us of what you have done for us, that you loved us and you served us even though we didn't deserve it. So God, by your strength and by your grace and by your power that's made available to us, Lord, help us to love like you love, to serve the way that you serve. If you're here today and you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, this is a moment for you to come before him and say, God, I need to, I need to first get right with you. I've been running. I've been rebelling. I've rejected you. But I need your healing and forgiveness in my life. And if you're here and you have yet to place your faith in Christ, this is a moment for you to come and respond to him and say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I believe that you came and you died for my sins. And I want to receive your forgiveness into my life. You let him know. He'll forgive you. And you say, God, please lead me. Guess what? He will lead you and change you. Just let him know. God, for those of us who have already placed our faith in you, we ask that you would help us to continue to walk towards maturity, that we would be more and more like you, that people could look at us and say, we look like Jesus. We look like our heavenly father who loves people and even loves our enemies. God, we need your help. We need your strength. We thank you so much for what you've done for us. In your name, amen.